Yes, it's Thursday at 4 p.m. Chicago time. This is Pillars of Franchising, where we give you the secrets to success in franchising. I'm Fred McMurray, and I'm with my co-host, Ray Pillar. Ray, how are we doing today? What's the weather like in Chicago? It is beautiful. The sun is shining. It's at 88 degrees. The humidity is fairly low, and it's a gorgeous day outside. Great day to be alive. And today, we have a special guest with us, Robert Hyde, who's a regional developer for Entrepreneur Source. How are you doing, Robert? I mean, I'm doing Bob. good, Ray. How are you? <laughs> yeah, Bob, Bob works okay. Bob works great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's great out here. And you are with Fred in uh, California, enjoying the sunshine out there, I presume. Yeah, we have a we have a nice day, and we have a a picture of the uh, of the real picture of the Pacific Ocean right out there. So fantastic. So, Bob, what is the Entrepreneur Source, and what does it do? The Entrepreneur Source is a is a franchise coaching firm, um, and we work with people that want to become self employed, self sufficient, typically through franchises. Although we do. We do place people sometimes in licensed business opportunities as well, but the vast majority are franchises. So you work with existing franchises or people who want to buy a franchise? People who want to buy a franchise, yes. Okay, okay. So I, I noticed uh, uh, one, one of the things that uh, caught my attention is that you, you were talking about the passion of a franchise and I happen to be very passionate about my franchise and, and franchisor. Do you think that is something that would lead to more success or is it something that is needed to be passionate about your franchise? Yeah, that's an interesting question. The, the way that I feel about it uh, is that, you know, in order, if you want to, if you, if you're if passion is the is the thing that you're looking for, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about your business. Certainly, it's a good thing, right? But but mm-hmm. I also Absolutely. believe that I also believe that you don't have to be passionate to be successful in a franchise. Uh, you, we have a mm-hmm. we have a little advertisement that we use because because the entrepreneur source we believe that the business is a vehicle to your success. Okay, it's just a vehicle. And so one mm-hmm. of the little, little ads that we have, I think is kind of funny and cool, which is, you know, you're looking out over a, an expanse of porta potties. Okay. <laughs> and, and guess what? There's a business owner that owns all those porta potties. And is he passionate about mm-hmm. that business? Is he passionate about being in the porta potty business? Probably not. But it, but if it's meeting his income, lifestyle, wealth, and equity goals, so be it. I mean, good for him. So passion is Absolutely. great, but I don't think you have to be passionate in order to be successful in a franchise. So is the porta potty owner, is that commercial or residential? That would be both, <laughs> I guess. So if it's commercial, we need to get Kristen because Kristen wants to talk to that, that person to clean the commercial side of it, right? <laughs> there you go. How's that one, Ray? <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. Uh, yes. Uh, well, which brings to mind another thought. I, I, I noticed that, Bob, uh, you have an engineering background, and, 
And I was wondering, myself, uh, I come from an IT management uh, background. Uh, How many people do you get to consult with you that come from an engineering or a management background or, you know, something completely different than what they imagine themselves getting into? Yeah, I tell you, Ray, you know, I've been in this business now for just over 10 years and which takes us back to 2008 and the dot-com bust uh, when I got started. And so we've dealt mm-hmm. with many, many what we call forced entrepreneurs, you know, yeah. men and women that, that were in their 50s, 60s, you know, making that, you know, 200, 300K a year, and they just had no chance whatsoever of getting back into the corporate world. And so, yeah, we've dealt with them, you know, for years now. Uh, because it's really still, mm-hmm. even though the economy is obviously much better today, uh, it's still difficult if you're in your 50s and 60s to find that you know solid six-figure job in the corporate world. Yeah, that was certainly was the uh, my case. Uh, I, I was uh, 55 when I, I was laid off from my last job, and my wife and I knew at that time there had to be something different in, in our lives in order to exist. To go on any further. So uh, I also noticed that, you know, I know many of the uh, Molly Maid owners and uh, a lot of them come from that type of background and they find themselves uh, now owning a franchise. So and that certainly is true. One, one of the things I'd add there too, right, you, you know, you talked about engineers and a lot of times people have, you know, sort of a bias a little bit against engineers because they think they're maybe not customer friendly or or they're you know way too detail oriented not sales oriented enough but actually our experience is, is quite different you know because franchising is all about following a system and what what are we taught in engineering school but you know there's systems and processes and equations and, and so on and so forth and so i think uh, they make great candidates to own a franchise yeah, this is true, but a lot of the franchises that are available require you to do deal with people from the standpoint of either hiring individuals or your, your customers or clients. And emotional intelligence has uh, is a key if you're getting into one of those type of franchises. Uh, at least I feel that way. Yeah, one thing, too, that we look at um, when we look at an individual – we give them a, what we call a behavioral style survey. It's, it's one that you've probably run into called the DISC, D-I-S-C. And oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that one. We use that information to help guide us in terms of, you know, introducing franchise opportunities. Just give you a simple example. You know, if, if you've got an engineer uh, that's not very outgoing, uh, sort of reserved, you wouldn't necessarily want to put them into a franchise that required them to make a hundred cold calls a day uh, and go out and at networking meetings every night. You know, it's just not, it's just not a good fit. And so that's one of the ways we use that as a, as a tool to help us evaluate the opportunities on behalf of our clients. So you, you somewhat uh, lead them in the right direction in in that respect. Uh, Yeah, we try to, I mean, we try to, yeah, yeah. So, uh, question, uh, when you say you take them through DISC, and, and I don't know, 
last time I went through disc, it told me I think I was um, a frustrated genius who should be um, running around screaming at people. Which, amazingly enough, I already do anyway. So I was. It was, it was um, you so you found your niche, Fred. <laughs> exactly. Which is how you, I found you. Realistic, I know I am. Um, so when you find people coming in um, and they take it, does it really? How well does it point them in the direction of the franchise that is best for them? Well, I, I think basically when you look at the disc, the disc is just a style survey. There's nothing right or wrong about it. So let's start there. Beyond that, it just gives you an idea of what may be a good fit. But in terms of, you know, we don't use it as a, and I, and I don't know of many franchisors that use it as, well, if you don't show up as a high eye, we're not going to accept you. We're not going to award you a franchise. Uh, there might be some, but I'm not, I'm not aware of, of, of any that do that. On the other hand, it is, I think, a good tool to figure out if you've got an introverted guy and this franchise owner needs to go out and do networking and stuff, that's an area for training. That's an area for you to provide as a franchisor to provide backup to the individual to help the individual get through that learning curve. So I, I don't think it, it basically takes you to any particular franchise. I just think it lets the ultimate franchisor know where this person's strengths and where his, well, I don't like to call them weaknesses, but where his areas of opportunity are to grow. Right? <laughs> I knew you can say areas of opportunity to grow. That's very PC to say. It is these, PC. It is these PC. are the places you suck and better get, do better or bring somebody else into help. Well, and that's, that's a good point too, uh, Fred, is that a lot of times, you know, franchisors or, or franchisees, new franchisees, you know, they have to bring on somebody, an employee, and wouldn't it be nice if you're not the most outgoing type, to bring out some, bring on somebody that is outgoing and can do those functions for the business on your behalf. You know, that's just another way to look at it. I think everyone should bring on a good marketing firm, but that's my own point, right, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and that brings to mind another thing too. How about how how do you judge determination uh, for success? How how can you? Uh, I mean. Interviewing a, a prospective uh, franchisee, how do you know if he's just looking at the numbers and not looking at being totally involved in what he's doing and being successful? Yeah, I, w I wish there was a magic formula for that because I could make a lot of money if I knew what that formula was. Uh, let's face it. I like to look at their background, um, but the problem with that is that an individual can have a, a tremendous winning formula, let's say, in the corporate world. Um, they may have succeeded at every job that they've been in, but then when they become their own boss and have to delegate and rely on other people, but then they also may have to take out the trash themselves. It's dicey. I mean, you, you just can't look at their past and say, this is going to be successful. This guy's going to be successful or this lady's going to be successful. So it's difficult. I, I'd have to agree. I wish I, had, I wish I knew exactly what that was, but I don't. I really don't. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the uh, 
you know, uh, and, and I agree with you. There's no way of measuring that, and and in some cases, there's the way, no way of the uh, prospective uh, franchisee knowing himself until he actually gets involved in in, in it. But that's yeah. probably it's something that's definitely needed for success in in the franchise world. So you know, one, uh, just one thing that maybe that you just stimulated for me, right, uh, uh, is that. One of the things that I do look for, and I saw, you know, as a regional developer, I had other franchise coaches working in my region. And one of the things that I found to be a good predictor of success was whether that individual franchisee had a plan B. If you've got a plan B, then plan A doesn't become as important. Now, plan B can be, oh, my spouse is making a lot of money, or, you know, I'm a trust fund kid, or whatever. But if mm-hmm. they've got a plan B, I, I worry about plan A. But if they're all in and, you know, Fanny bar the door, this is this is what I want to do, then I think that's a, a really good predictor of success. Well, I've always uh, I have to agree with that. I've always tried to have a plan A and a plan C, but plan C always, <laughs> always includes automatic weapons. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, until I got told by one boss, you can't say that around here. People are taking you serious. Yes. <laughs> well, so the nice. So you know, there's a slaughterhouse. So, um, yeah. So, what? Um, you said you are the regional director. So, how big of a territory do you cover, and how many people do you have working underneath you? Well, first off, I did that for 10 years, but I'm now now I'm a unit franchisee. But I'll just answer the question six From months this, ago. Okay, fair six enough. Six months ago. Uh, regional developers in the entrepreneur stores actually don't have any geographic boundaries. So we are, we're national, if you will. Uh, and, and I had up to 20 people in my, my territory, if you will. But again, my territory was the entire United States. But then there was 15 others just like me that also had the same territory. Page match. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pretty cool, huh? So then another question comes to my mind is of the people that approach you to want to go through the I'm going to become a franchisee process, or as we like to call it, selecting the right opportunities, how many do you find start down the process but don't finish? That they they get so far along and say well, I got a new job somewhere else. I'm done, or something like that. The numbers that you know, we track those numbers pretty carefully, and the people that walk through the door. Now, it could be something as simple as coming to our virtual franchise show, or it could be something uh, you meet somebody at a at, at an event, a networking event. About one in a hundred that actually plays a franchise. Really? So one percent? One percent. Yeah. Wow, a lot of tire kickers, huh? Well, not, not it, you know, it's just that there's so, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong, you know, in terms of what do you mean? It can be a spouse problem. It can be, I've had, I've had a deal go south with somebody that went to a, a wake and talked to somebody at the wake who said, oh, that's the worst idea that you've ever come up with, and the deal went south. So there's just a lot of reasons why. Why these transactions cannot happen because financing, finding the proper location for the business, these are all things that could go wrong. And so if you just look at the overall numbers, about one out of 100 is the, 
the way it looks. It's interesting. When I started, when I started telling my friends that I was buying a franchise, the, the usual response was, "Are you nuts?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. We we have so. a ter- we have a term for it. We call it crabs in a basket. I don't know if you're familiar with crabbing, but those of us that used to live on the East Coast, you you go out and you catch crabs, you throw them in a basket, and they all try to crawl on each other and get out. Okay, <laughs> and that's that's what you know. That's it, it. Just happens because you're right. I mean, yeah. For all the clients, the, literally a thousands plus clients I've talked to, that's always one of the things we talk to them about is that. When you talk to other people about this, you're going to get a range of responses, and some of them are going to be really negative, and and you need mm-hmm. to be prepared for them. You need to be prepared for yeah. them. Be prepared yeah, absolutely. for them. You have, to, <laughs> you have to make up your own mind and look at the uh, negatives and the positives of, of each franchise that you consider. Uh, and I, I think going into that question a little bit, there's, Probably uh, there's thousands and thousands of franchises that you can get. How do you pick the right one? I mean, obviously you personality know, and work ethic has a lot to do with it. But you know, how do how do you style the right one for the person who's uh, coming to you? Well, you know, there's uh, the, the number. Nobody knows exactly what the number is, but it's somewhere between three and four thousand franchises in the United States. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so I mean. <laughs> I guess if there were, this was a perfect world, you know, you could do due diligence on all 3,000 and come up with a perfect one for you. But it's not. That's way too much time and way too much effort. Uh, so, I think one of the ways to do it is to figure out what we like to say is we start with what are your income, lifestyle, wealth, and equity goals, because that will change. That will reduce that that uh, three thousand down to a much more manageable number for us as a franchise coach working with a client. So you know, uh, you know, if you if you begin knowing that, let's say that you know when we talk to our clients, we start out talking with our clients. We talk, well, do you like to work with employees? You know, do you want to have people working for you? And some people say yes, some people say no. The people that, we, that say no, we tell them, well, if nobody's working for you, then recognizing that as a solo entrepreneur, here's some of the positives, here's some of the negatives. Yes, you only have to manage yourself. For some people, maybe like Fred, that's a hard job, right? But for other people, you know, they, they, they love having people under them and so on and so forth. So we work to really help them sort of establish their resume, if you will, for business ownership before we even start thinking about what opportunities we want to present to them. So that's that's how we at least, I think, reduce the number to come in to a much more manageable playing field. And then again, as I said, we, we really try to help our clients understand that you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough. If you find an opportunity that's good enough that meets all these goals for you, well then then you've done it. You've reached a point of clarity. It's time to decide. You know, and then from there it gets very detailed and due diligence oriented. I mean, you've got to meet the franchisor. You've got to meet their their executive 
teams. You know, you've got to you've got to talk to franchisees that have been in the business. You know, what we suggest is talk to some high performers, talk to some average performers, and talk to some performers that are struggling, and put together that entire package before you sign on the dotted line and, and write that check. So what you're saying is Do you, you have, have the FDD, aren't you? Yeah, you have to read the FDD, and there's some sections that are, you know, to me, being in franchising for 10 years, when I talk to people, they say, well, I could do this, I could do this business myself. And my response is, you're absolutely correct. You could do it yourself. And you could start an independent business with a new idea yourself. There's no question about that. But the beauty to me of franchising is, is that before you invest a dime in a new business, you can talk to business owners that have been doing that business for any number of years. And so your chances of success are, to me, are much greater. And you're going to know so much more before you get started. You're going to have a good idea of uh, who's my customer. Where's, you know, what am I going to do to keep that customer? What do I have to do? What kind of employees do I have to, to bring on board? And so on. So there's just so many things that you already know before you spend a dime. Yeah, but this all assumes one fact, that you weren't put on the FDD. <laughs> That's right. Well, the, section, the, sections that I, the sections that I tell my folks to look at first are Section 3, which is the litigation section. Okay, if you've got a franchisor that's that's fraught with litigation, that's a red flag. You have to understand it. Section seven, which is the earnings or the the, the cost part of it, you need to understand those costs. It gives you a very precise amount of money that you're going to have to spend in the first six months. And then, last but not least, is the earnings claim, which is item 19, and that's one that you know not all franchisors have an earnings claim. Many do. Uh, but the one thing I, I say about earnings claim is you have to be very careful when you read them because th- there's, a, there's generally a lot of fine print associated with earnings claims. You know, sometimes you'll look at an earnings yep. claim and it'll say, oh, here's the revenue numbers. But then you look down on the footnote and say it's the revenue numbers for the top 25% of the franchisees. <laughs> you may look mm-hmm. at the earnings claim and it say, well, it's based on 100 franchisees, but they have 200 in their system. That's going to, to me, raise a little bit of a red flag. You know, why didn't all yeah. the franchisees respond to the questionnaires? So, like I said, I, I, love, I love the fact when you get a very solid earnings claim, that's a great feature for a prospective franchisee, but you just have to be, you have to read the fine print. You have to be very diligent about doing your due diligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, Bob, do you have a uh, portfolio of, of- uh, franchises that you mostly deal with? Yeah, we work, you know, that portfolio is always changing, but it's it's usually in the neighborhood of 200 different franchisees, 20 plus mm-hmm. different industries, you know, everything from, you know, commercial cleaning, residential cleaning, fast food, um, tax preparation, you know, as you, as you know, Ray, you've been in this for a long time. Franchising is everywhere in the industry. Yes. It's everywhere. Yes. What of uh, uh, if you're considering a, a franchise, uh, say a franchise approaches you, or you're looking around to increase that portfolio, what would you not consider at all? What you know, what would you throw in, right into the trash can without even looking at it? You know, I don't know that there's 
I don't I don't know if there's any any business that we would really throw to the curb. Um, I know it's one of the things that's difficult right now. Uh, we were approached by some people in the cannabis industry, <laughs> and, and we weren't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. But beyond that, you know, let's face it. Um, I, d- I just don't think of there's any particular business. You know, we certainly look at uh, one of the things that I that's interesting to me is, you know, when you get brand new franchises, uh, a brand new concept. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we have some clients that are what I call pioneers that love to get in on the ground floor, and so they're they're happy to be franchisee number one or two. Then we have clients that say, well, wait a second, no, 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 no. I, I, I want to be, you know, if this, if this franchise doesn't have 100 units, I'm not even interested in, in going down a path with them. So, like I said, I, I don't think there's any one um, particular business or obviously it has to be legal, uh, but other than that, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm just hoping to give our listeners, you know, so, some guidance, you know, may, that, that maybe they could avoid certain things, uh, save them a little time and trouble. So let's take the opposite approach. Uh, what would you say is the most uh, in your portfolio? What do you recommend the most? What type of franchise? You know, it's 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 interesting. Um, that's probably the number one question I get whenever I sell somebody I'm in the franchising industry, uh, let's say at a dinner party or having a drink or something like that. The number one question I get is, well, what's the hottest franchise? What's the hottest franchise? Everybody wants to jump, jump mm-hmm. in on the hottest franchise. And, and that really is, as a franchise coach, that's really against our principles. And, and I'll mm-hmm. explain to you why, because we want to, ensure that there's the best possible fit that we can. And so, again, you know, when I get a client that says to me, Bob, uh, I'm only interested in this, uh, I ask them why, and then we go through the same process again and, and say, well, listen, it never hurts to compare what you think you want because what if I could show you a different business that you could still do all, use all your skills and, and all your abilities and, and make 50% more money. Wouldn't you want to take a look at that? And, of course, the answer is yes. So, again, we look at the individual first, and then we try to match the franchise opportunity to that individual. So we don't try to steer our clients any one way. Now, some, there are some franchise brokers out there, I have to admit, that will tell you, oh, no, you know, you got to do right now the hottest thing is, Five guys or serve pro or whatever, and you got to jump on that wagon. But that's just not us. That's we are a true coaching firm, and so I really don't care which business that you end up choosing. Um, it's really I feel good if you reach the point of clarity, and and I've helped you do that. I even feel good if the guy decides that franchising is not for me, because at least we've reached that point of clarity, and and the the person is better off as a result of reaching mm-hmm. that point of view. So then I guess part of what I think Ray's aiming at is what would you say the, the top industries that you see people flocking to for a franchise? 
we do we do a lot of work with businesses in what I'll call the light manufacturing space. Really. So that would be mm-hmm. science, graphics, that sort of stuff. We do a lot of work with some fast food, okay? Not as much as you might think, but we do. And then personal services, salons, hair care. Um, Dog training? We, we have some of those. <laughs> we have some of those. One of the, when, when I actually bought the uh, Entrepreneur Source franchise, that's one of the – I actually came through the Entrepreneur Source process and that's one of the options that my coach showed me was a uh, a mobile pet grooming business. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you just said you came through the the entrepreneur source process. That's not the first time you went through the purchasing a franchise process, was it? No, no. Before before <laughs> that, uh, my wife and I owned a Sandler, now called Sandler Training. When we bought it, it was Sandler Sales Institute. And literally, we bought that one without <laughs> without any coaching. Uh, my wife knew uh, had, had 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 a seminar presented by David Sandler, and went down to Maryland. Uh, in those days, it wasn't the FDD; it was the UFOC. Um, I remember reading it and signing it and writing a check. And <laughs> honey, I bought a franchise. Well, she was really hers. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. So you so you have some experience in uh, being a franchisee. Yeah, franchisee. Well, of course, even as a regional developer, I'm still a franchisee. Although my job was mm-hmm. to recruit other franchisees as well. So yeah, it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Fred. Were you going to say something? Well, okay. Taking it off a. Uh, Slightly taking it off uh, topic, um, you're also involved with SCORE. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about SCORE, and then the question I've got about SCORE is how many franchisees interact with SCORE? So first, tell us about SCORE, and then tell us about franchisees interacting with SCORE. Yeah, SCORE is a, is a national uh, volunteer uh, network organized under the auspices of the Small Business Administration. And we provide free counseling and coaching and workshops to prospective business owners as well as people that are already in business. So it could be franchisees, uh, could be independent businesses. And uh, so I've been doing that now for about three years. Uh, opportunity to give back, you know, a little bit of what I've learned over the years, not just in franchising, but in the corporate world. And uh, in terms of the, I say we get a very small percentage of our of our clients that come to score that are in franchises, less probably less than 10%, less than 10%. So do you think that's because the franchisor provides most of the mentoring training support uh, that score normally would? I actually think it's that when people, I have uh, two franchisees that, that are clients of mine that I'm working with right now. And, and one of them is struggling mightily um, with a brand that's in the in the IT space. And, and uh, yeah, I think she was she waited too long. You know, she she expected the franchisor to help out and really see that she was struggling 
And so that's the, the, the advice that I gave her. The most, I think the most important advice I gave her is you need to tell the franchisor that, you're, that you've got a problem. And her problem was that she had lost money in most every month that she'd been open. So uh, that's the thing that I think that franchisees typically think that, you know, they're, they're tied <laughs> lockstep to the franchisor, but then they really don't want to necessarily open the kimono and tell the franchisor all the problems that they're having. So that's the one thing I think as a franchisee that you have to realize if you're having issues, if, if, if things aren't going the way you planned, you need to work with a franchisor and ask for help and ask for help. But I, you know, I'm glad in that case that we, we found her or she found us better, uh, so that we could at least get her to go do that. Right. That's the second pillar, isn't it? Of support yes. and, and training from a franchisor. Which, which uh, kind of opens up, uh, this is one of the things that the Entrepreneur Source does as well, is help an existing franchise, um, uh, money losing, or uh, can you coach them and how to turn things around? We actually do, don't do any business coaching. There was a while, there was a while that we did that uh, for franchisees, and, and in fact, what we did to, to handle that, if you will, was we cre- we bought a brand it's called Advocoach. I remember that. And Advocoach is in that business. And they don't just work with, with franchise units, but they also work with independent businesses. But that is, that is their claim to fame is, you know, is helping small businesses improve their results. So, no, mm-hmm. the entrepreneur source, no, we really don't do that, which is kind of one of the reasons, uh, also one of the reasons that I joined SCORE is because I really enjoy doing that. I really enjoy helping business owners. And uh, so that, at SCORE, we're, you know, that's all we do. So you're a certified mentor at the, the SCORE chapter around here, right? Correct. What is a certified mentor? Does somebody stick a walk in with a, like a, an ink stamp and stamp your forehead with a big M? Which, if they did, it's kind of worn off there. Okay. Uh, no, a certified mentor... Uh, number one, we look at the background of the individual. So, and you know, typically, you know, SCORE used to be all people that were retired. Now, not so much, not anymore. Uh, but still, we look at their background, see what they bring to the table. Then there is an online learning curriculum that you have to finish. Um, it takes probably the better part of a day uh, to finish this online curriculum. Then we have sort of uh, continuing education that we have to partake of. Uh, we have to sign ethical agreements all the time to, to make sure that we'll not in any way, shape, or form try to profit from our clients. I mean, even if a client owned a restaurant and wanted to give me a free meal, I really can't do that. And then last but not least, we, uh, we, we work with other mentors, other experienced mentors, in at least six, with at least six different clients before we're allowed to go out and mentor individually. So it's, it's not, it's not cumbersome, but it's not, you just can't walk in, walk in one day and say, I'm a certified mentor. It doesn't happen that way. Hmm. Breaking news, okay? Breaking news. Just that word as we've been sitting here talking. You can now hear Pillars of Franchising podcast on Stitcher.com. 
Boy, iHeartRadio this week and Stitchers.com. We're really rocking out to everyone, aren't we, Ray? We sure are. That sounds fantastic, Fred. Now, all we need is Spotify. So, Bob, how do people that, find that, you? Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Uh, how do people <laughs> find you? How do people find you? Well, I- you know, for those old school people that want to pick up the phone, they can call me on my cell phone, which is 714-345-2956. Or they can uh, reach me in e- email, Bob Hyde, that's E-Hyde, E-H-Y-D-E, at esourcecoach.com. Awesome. So my last question, and I think Ray's got one. My last question is, when... When you look back at the people you've helped, what do they seem to find after year one in being a franchisee? What do they find is the biggest surprise? You know, I think the when I when I talk to franchisees that, that I've worked with, I think they all underestimate the effort required in the beginning. You're pulled in so many different directions, and and typically you're starting out as a solopreneur or maybe with one or two employees, and so they I don't think they planned enough time. They didn't plan enough time. You know the 60. You know in some cases a lot of these former execs that we're dealing with, they were planning to get away from the 60 80 hour work weeks. What's wrong with the regular work week? <laughs> yeah. But. But it, you know, I don't know. In Ray's first year, I suspect he's going to tell us that he worked his butt off in, his, in the first year, and and probably still today. More, more like the first five years. But go ahead. Yeah, it's just it's hard work, but the the rewards are mm-hmm. there if you are willing to put in the hard work to make it successful. Nobody's going to make it successful for you. You have to do it on your own. Yes. Boy, if you can find a business where you can build a business. Successful, they pay huge amounts for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can attest to that. I can definitely attest to that. And and I did, you know, work my butt off for you know I, I probably at least five years, if not longer. And uh, eventually, you know, pulled back because I was uh, determined to put the right people in place in management that can do the job correctly as I envisioned it. And I think that's one of the keys that. Uh, a person needs to start looking at right from the get-go and what, what jobs am I doing as an entrepreneur where many, many hats, I took a look at the ones I didn't like to do the most and I started delegating those first because yeah. I knew that other people could probably do them better than I could. No, that's, that, that's great advice. That is great advice, yeah. And that's why I raised my co-host because he has great advice. So uh, another thing that uh, people seem to under, underestimate is uh, capitalization. Uh, a franchisor will tell, oh, you need, you know, $100,000, and, you know, all of a sudden they run out of that 100000 and business isn't going too well. Um, so what I've been telling people who ask me is basically whatever they tell you, double or triple it. Do you <laughs> feel the same way? Um, we, 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 uh, 
Yes, but the yes, the yes part of it is undercapitalization is a significant problem. What we try to do, uh, Ray, when we work with our clients, is we say, listen, uh, how much does it take for you to run your household? Okay? So, you know, what's your mortgage payment? What's the food cost? You know, what kids in college? Whatever that is. And come to a number. Okay? And then we say, when do you think realistically – that this business is going to start throwing off cash because, as we know, a business doesn't throw off cash the first day, right? And it, there is some ramp oh, yeah. times and fran- some ranch- some franchisee franchise opportunities have fairly significant ramp up times. We deal with some where you really don't start producing positive cash flow for 12 to 18 months. So you have to plan for your household expenses. Be it, you know, maybe you have a spouse that can take care of most of the household expenses or whatever, or you need to be able to go into your savings to take care of that until the business starts to throw enough cash that it can take care of your monthly expenses. So we really, Mm -hmm. rather than say double or triple, we try to work with the client and say, okay, wait a second, what's it take to run your household? And then let's figure out how long it's going to take for the business to get there and then that's the amount of money you need in addition to the money you're, uh, you're investing in the franchise. Exactly. And that's the one thing that people do forget about is what is their mortgage? What is their uh, food outlay every, every week? And they seem to forget about that thinking, well, you know, in six months I can basically get that from uh, the company. But when six months rolls by and you're still, you know, you, you see money flowing outward and not inward, it, it, it becomes a little difficult. That's when that's when uh, franchisees get really scared, and and when they're mm-hmm. really scared, that's that's one of the things that I that I tell my folks is, if you're scared and you're trying to sell something to somebody, that's a bad equation. Oh, they sense it. They sense it. Yeah. Like yep. I understand, yep. they sense it. Yep. Well, well, one of the one of the things that. Uh, I realized that, you know, I was wondering why I wasn't profitable for a long time. And and then I looked at what I was actually, my outlay was, and my outlay was investing in the business. So even though I wasn't profitable when the franchise said I should have been, there was still money rolling in, but I was putting it right back out in the form of hiring the right people and getting uh, really good advertising out there that, that helped develop the business over a longer term. All right, and on that note, luckily Ray got a great marketing firm. Um, (laughs) And we got Ray. Otherwise, none of us would be sitting here now. So we want to thank Bob Hyde from Entrepreneur Source for being our guest today. It's been highly illuminating. Ray, you and I will be back next week, right? That is correct. And this has been Pillars of Franchising bringing you the secrets of a successful franchise. Have a great week, folks, and we'll see you next week, or you'll hear us next week. Thanks, Bob.